Welcome to episode 139. Are you a busy person? Someone that prides yourself on getting all of the things done? All of the pies you've inevitably got your finger in? And are you a woman and a mother? If you said yes to any of those, I strongly suggest that you listen to this episode. It might be very, very important. And if you have a partner that is what we classify as a busy mum, then you might need to listen in too, because we're discussing a few things about that which you need to hear. Particularly how the high-performing woman with a business or a successful career that also manages a relationship or a marriage, giving birth and managing several children, and then eventually finds herself absolutely knackered and is diagnosed with burnout. On this episode, we talk about some of the silent emotional and mental health challenges that busy mums experience, along with how to identify if you're showing signs of burnout, and of course, how to get started on climbing out of that never-ending chaotic list of busyness, choosing a new identity, and creating space for your own self-care and healing. This here really is a beautiful conversation, and you're going to love it. So let's dive in. Welcome to the How to Not Get Sick and Die podcast. You've tuned in because you want to start taking your health seriously, so you don't, well, get sick and die. Here we talk all things health, nutrition, and human optimization. Let's jump into it with your host and resident scientist, Maddie Lansdowne. What's up, my healthy friends? Welcome back to this fine interview episode that we've got organized for you here. If you're someone that's looking to improve your health, how you feel in your body each day, maybe lose some pounds, drop some kilos, deal with your brain fog or boost your energy levels, then you're in luck because it's my mission to coach 250 men and women to lose weight and be their healthiest self before the end of 2021. How do you get involved? You scroll down to the show notes below, click the link to join the Facebook group, answer the group entry questions and then we lock in a time to have a conversation. Bob's your uncle. You'll be on the way to transforming your body and your self-confidence in no time at all. Someone who is absolutely adept at optimal health and transforming people's bodies and lives is today's guest, Angela Foster. Who is Angela Foster, you ask? Angela is a nutritional therapist and health and performance coach, but prior to this massive career shift, she was a former partner in a large law firm until she left the world of corporate law after suffering burnout and recovering from a very serious illness in 2014. Now, most people think that as a mom, you kind of have to pick family life or career life to excel at, and that anywhere in between is just pain, chaos, and debauchery. (laughs) But as a mother of three young children, Angela is on a mission to inspire and educate women on how to stay healthy and energized whilst meeting the demands of the hectic combination that is a successful career, successful relationship, and having a vibrant and healthy family life. Angela is also a regular speaker to large corporations, helping them to optimize the health and wellness of their employees. And alongside all of this stuff, this legend is also a fellow podcaster and hosts the High Performance Health Podcast, a top-rated podcast in the alternative health category, which just so happens to be where this show often loiters, (laughs) which is kind of cool. So I'd like to introduce you to the super wonderful Angela Foster. Welcome to the show, Angela. How are you doing? I'm really well. Thank you so much for having me here, Matty. Yes, uh, yeah, it's going to be fun. Absolutely, it is, and I'm so excited to have your lovely British accent. It's such a refreshing accent <laughs> to have on the show. We bounce between Aussies and Americans, so it's so nice to have you here. 
Thank you. It's, it's funny, isn't it, how the British accent is sort of, um, I guess, talked about worldwide, isn't it? It's always a talking point. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, it's great to be here. It's funny because uh, if I speak really clearly, people in the absence of someone that is British, people think I am British. <laughs> <laughs> actually, when you slow it down, it does sound quite British. I'm always, Ooh. I'm terrible for actually muddling up. I'm getting better, but muddling up some of the North American states with Canadians, always bad. Oh, totally. And Australians and New Zealanders. So, yeah, <laughs> I always have to be careful. Totally, totally. So corporate law to health performance coach, what a shift. That's such a massive change. In my mind, that's kind of like going from Harvey Specter in suits to like mm-hmm. Tim Ferriss and some meeting somewhere in the middle at like Gordon Ramsay. <laughs> <laughs> that's such a funny way to describe it. Yeah, it is a bit crazy, isn't it? It's like one extreme to the other. Yeah. Um, and I think that's the thing. As lawyers, we I wouldn't say we disrespected health, but we certainly disrespected the importance of sleep. Um, as you can imagine, like, you know, when you're working at one of the top London law firms, the, the clients are high paying clients and you'll do whatever it takes to get that transaction through. So sleep was definitely sacrificed. I think overall, you know, when you're sort of playing at that level, a lot of the people there were very, you know, they realized they had to stay healthy and were into fitness, but then they were into extreme fitness challenges. You know, nothing was done by hearts. So that's the thing. It's that culture and that typical type A personality. So I'd kind of always looked after my nutrition and my fitness to a degree, but never really realized the full extent of it, to be honest, until the first foray actually was when I had, I was diagnosed with PCOS. So I'd had kind of in my teenage years, I'd had gynecological issues that the GP in that 10 minute appointment that you get here in the UK had just said, we'll kind of park this and look at it later, um, you know, when you decide you want to start a family and didn't diagnose what it was and promptly put me on the contraceptive pill, which I now know was probably not in any way the best idea for a teenage girl. Um, And then I discovered, isn't it? And I discovered, you know, I had PCOS and endometriosis at the point at which I was thinking of starting a family. And all of the things that the pill should have done, quote unquote, had not been done anyway, because this had all grown and I'd had these cysts develop and the endometriosis whilst on the pill um so it kind of yes so that that was really my first thing but I was still practicing and I was looking at the link between nutrition and insulin resistance because I'd been Mm. prescribed metformin initially to control that Mm. and that was not a drug I could tolerate at all lots of people get digestive problems with it and I really couldn't actually eat on it at all so I had surgery and then I decided right I need to figure this out how am I going to like optimize nutrition and I knew that there was a really strong family history of diabetes in our family chronic kidney disease and it was a bit of a wake-up call because I was thinking you know I'm in my late 20s am I heading down that path that's not really where I want to be going Um, so I kind of sort of you know in my spare time was reading about PCOS and the link between blood sugar variability and actually got that under control and managed to have my three kids but that's when all the burnout came so we can we can talk about that if if you want to yeah, totally. It's yeah, it's so interesting that you touch on the um the the pill. It's it's a conversation I've been having with clients and a lot of people lately that yeah, that have been on the pill for 10, 15, 20 years only to find out that when they get to the age of wanting to conceive or wanting to begin a family that it may not have done a great deal of good putting yeah, essentially hormonal replacements into your body for such a significant period of time. 
Absolutely. And, you know, I've been trying to sort of, um, I and subsequently struggled terribly with depression. Mm-hmm. And I've been trying to put the links together, like, how did that happen? Because I'm not in any way a kind of, not that people necessarily have a depressive personality, but I've always been really upbeat. And it was interesting, I interviewed Dr. Sarah E. Hill on my own, on my own show, and she's um, investigated the link between the pill and the brain. Mm-hmm. And she has a book, amazing book, Your Brain on Birth Control. And it's very interesting when you look at it because actually giving a teenage girl the birth control pill actually changes the structure of their brain and makes them later more vulnerable to depression. So not, not only was it not really solving my gynecological issues, mm-hmm. um, it was actually, you know, causing other things, I think, I believe, that, that took place later in life. Absolutely. There's another book um, which you're probably familiar with uh, by Jolene Brighton um, called mm-hmm. Beyond the Pill, which talks about the nutritional deficiencies, and particularly your B vitamins, which are precursors to building those neurotransmitters. And those neurotransmitters obviously lead to um, or the absence of those neurotransmitters like serotonin and dopamine building blocks means you're, you're totally susceptible to the likelihood of depression and anxiety and a really negative perspective on the world. Yeah, very much so. And I think, you know, that people don't take into account as well when those prescriptions are given out. You know, what are the genetics of the individual? Do they have, you know, a dodgy sort of MTHFR snit where actually they even need more B vitamins? Have they got increased needs for things like magnesium, um, which we know these nutrients are depleted further by the pill, as you say. And I think that combined with the long hours as a lawyer was really what set the stage for what was to come in me. And, um, you you know, I, I had very difficult, the pregnancies were okay, but I had very difficult deliveries. So mm-hmm. my first child was born by emergency cesarean because I had pelvic disproportion, which obviously you can't know until you try and go through labor. Yeah, of course. Um, and so that was a very stressful event and led to an emergency section where it actually damaged my bladder in the process. So that was, and then another recovery where I had to kind of learn to, you know, I was struggling to walk after the surgery thinking this is pain from a C-section without mm-hmm. me knowing that what was actually happening was my bladder was just filling and filling without my brain knowing. And so there was a risk then of renal failure. Um, and it was only because I had a very apt sort of midwife that came around to the house that sort of sent me straight back to the hospital and said, this has all got to be drained off. This isn't normal. Like you're not going to the toilet and you can barely walk. Um, but I think this is the thing is I think as women, we have these series of challenges that we go through, um, particularly when we have children. And we're so used to just carrying on. That's that's certainly what I did in the early days, just kept going and kept going. Um, and then eventually I had, you know, the sort of full burnout where I ended up hospitalized with pneumonia um but yeah it was it's I think for any sort of female listeners I think it is difficult because you sort of accept things you know the lack of sleep um the you know the the drain on your system as something that you you have to sort of endure with young children and it's actually really depleting you after that pregnancy has already you know further depleted things like your B vitamins and also importantly things that affect the brain like um, omega-3s for example as well and DHA and EPA. So it sounds like this journey of sort of wanting to build a family and having the history of the endo and taking the pill and the PCOS combined with the super heavy legal career was the thing that eventually led to catalyzing the event that was burnout. Can you take us through that journey as to, you know, what were the big milestones after the kids came along that really knocked you about before burnout happened? 
Yeah, sure. So as I say, after my first child, that was a bit challenging. So I was getting, you know, over getting over the C-section, had a new baby to cope with. I'd been back to see my gynecologist who'd said to me, if you want to have, you know, more than one child, which we did, then because of the endometriosis, um, they hadn't expected me to fall pregnant quite so quickly after the surgery. So I'd had the surgery in August and fallen pregnant in the October. So the first thing was, is it ectopic? Because that can happen. But then having had that success of which I'm super grateful for, falling pregnant naturally, they then, their advice was, you know, again take the pill for six months and then come off just to stop the regrowth in theory and then come off the pill and um then try again for another child and that's exactly what I did so at this point I didn't you know I was still a lawyer I had no idea about the health implications of it and so I did that and then fell pregnant so by the time I was due to go back on matern- after maternity leave at 12 months. I was already three months pregnant with my second son. Wow. Um, so it was, all, quick, quick no, it was all quite... <laughs> it was a quick turnaround. Um, yeah, we were busy. And, uh, and that was after, um, you know, that was after having just made partnership at eight months pregnant with my first. So life just felt crazy. And um, I decided at that point, I'm not going to go back for a few months. I'm going to take a bit of a break, focus on the kids, And then I'd had a little bit of what I now believe is postnatal depression after my first child, but I really had ignored it. I, you know, I I just thought that was something I'd never get. But in that second pregnancy, I very much felt depressed. And I remember actually Googling prenatal depression to see, is this a thing? And yes, it seemed like it was. But then it's kind of like, is that actually just an overhang from the previous pregnancy? Because they were so close together. And, And what I now know is that eight weeks and eight months seem to be trigger points for depression and it was around sort of eight nine months postpartum that I fell pregnant with my second so I did I struggled through that pregnancy and then when I had my son it it kind of got really bad but again I was that typical type a personality keep going ignoring it and then when he was eight months old I remember my my husband taking some time off work and that was when I really struggled with the physical side of getting out of bed um couldn't you know couldn't get going till sort of three o'clock in the afternoon which is a a 5 a.m riser was just really strange um and so i kind of like at that point i thought i I still didn't i still i don't know if i just subconsciously wasn't accepting it but i still didn't want to i guess accept it was depression so i thought well maybe i've got you know anemia something like that so i phoned the doctors they said they'd run some tests and obviously everything came back fine so they were sort of telling me we think this is what it is And it was about two months later, I was really, really struggling, shaking, just finding it so hard to cope with life, the mental and physical aspect. But I received treatment for that. And it was a combination of cognitive behavioral therapy combined with drug therapy, basically to help me do that inner work. That was the way I saw it. If I can use medication to get back on track. And I hadn't really looked at spirituality at this point. I hadn't really, you know, gone into sort of things like meditation mindfulness like I had like I have now and I wasn't really optimizing my nutrition and fitness I'd taken up like I'd, I'd always enjoyed running and I was doing it more and more because of the endorphins and I guess that again was contributing more to this sort of burnout um, but I got back on track I did definitely get back on track and I think it was my husband was initially like I don't I don't think we should have any more children like we don't want to go through this again and my GP was the same but 
I think for any women listening, I think, you know, there's an expression a woman knows when she's done. And I think you just do know, like after my third child, I was like, never again. <laughs> um, but at this, <laughs> that's it. But at this point we wanted, to, I was one of three and I wanted to have three kids. And I thought very much I've mastered this. Do you know what I mean? I've got my health back on track. I've done all this CBT. Life is good. I'm completely off the meds and we can try again. And then again, fell pregnant very quickly and I was fine, like totally fine all the way through that pregnancy. And I put in place specific things. You know, I thought I'm going to get a maternity nurse. That way I won't be having sleepless nights, all the things that could protect me. Um, And then I just sort of fell into the depths of depression very, very quickly after she was born. It was always like a triggering event. And I, I feel so grateful that I was connected with my children adored them you know there was no issues there it was really me and I felt this time it hit me so hard that I really felt like I shouldn't be around like maybe they would be better off growing without me growing up without me because it was crazy you know you think that as a mother now and I think how could I have thought those things like how could I leave my children but I just was in such a bad place that I felt like maybe everything around me was negative and life would be better without me so those sorts of suicide were just growing thicker and faster And then the kids got sick. I'd been moved, transitioned from different medications to the others. The GP had referred me now to a psychiatric hospital, to a consultant there because they couldn't really manage what was going on. And I then, the kids got sick and I think I caught this cough from them. And in me, it just came to a really bad chest infection. And so they were giving me lots of antibiotics, kind of contributing to more health demise, but probably saved my life. And then I um, I was taking those and nothing was really working until I sort of went back to the GP after they'd finished. And she listened to my chest and said, your left lung sounds really, really infected. And she was a very experienced GP. She said to me, I think you've got pneumonia. And I've seen this happen in women in their sort of mid to late 30s before and they'll keep going, particularly mums, and then bang, it's kind of like it all goes wrong. So she said, I'm going to send you for a chest x-ray. And then two days later, they called me into the hospital and said, we need you to come urgently. We think you might have something called bronchiectasis, but we need you to come in. So I went in and they just kept talking to me about my lymph glands, showing me on the on the x-ray, look at this, your lymph, your lymph. And when someone's talking to you about lymph glands excessively, your mind always goes to, could this be cancer? Yeah. That was what was going through my head. And so I said to them, like, you know, it sounds like you might be saying I have lung cancer, at which point they were like, well, that's we can't say you don't without a CT scan. So then everything was like going so quickly. So I had the CT scan. They put a dye through me, had a good look at my lungs. And when I walked back in, they were sort of, the, the doctor was, it's worse than I thought. And there was me just thinking, oh my God, like my life's flashing before me. Here I am, you know, feeling pretty suicidal, but knowing I'm ill with pneumonia. And now you're telling me I've got lung cancer. Like what is happening? And, but actually it turned out that it wasn't lung cancer. The lymph glands were so enlarged because I had, it just progressed really quickly over those 48 hours it was on both lungs it was viral and bacterial and they said to me you know we can't let you leave the hospital you're going to require immediate admission we don't actually know how you're still functioning and breathing unassisted so that was a real like you know they took bloods they said to me you're neutropenic and I was like whoa this is happening so fast and it's Do you know, I think it sounds a bit woo-woo maybe, but I do think that was quite a kind of transcendental moment for me. I was so 
I think like the high fevers and Joe Dispenza talks about this when he was a child. He used to love having high fevers because it would give way to this lucidity and this sort of trance-like state that you can only really access if you're not used to it in that mental state. And I just felt this deep sense of connection and purpose to my children. It totally transformed my mindset. I was like, what the hell's going on? Like, here I am. You know, I've been thinking about suicide repeatedly and just thinking, what am I going to do? Like, the, both both outcomes seem so bad. It was so painful living. But then if I take my own life, how damaging is that going to be for my kids to know mummy took her own life? Like, And I just couldn't find. I just... And so the running actually just became running away from me. But you can't... How can you run away from yourself? You can't. Totally. And so when I was in hospital, I was kind of like, actually... I can't go anywhere, right? It is just me in hospital with myself. So I, and I just connected. I'm so grateful for that moment. I connected and I, it was like a wake up call. It was like, I, I want to be a part of my kids' lives. I want to see them grow up. And after that, it was a process, but my bloods, do you know what was amazing is to go from having, being neutropenic and my white blood cell count so low within 48 hours, my bloods change when my, when I mentally made that decision. It's extraordinary, that mind-body connection. Wow. That's some real Joe Dispenza stuff right there. Yeah. Like, just amazing. I couldn't, I couldn't believe And I didn't know about Joe Dispenza at this point. So I, in fact, didn't find him for a few years afterwards. But I was just like, wow, this is powerful stuff. And so I then, when I got out of hospital, I it was a, it was a struggle. You know, I had to have lots of kind of tests where they put you in an oxygen tank and make you breathe really hard and they see is it reversible. And I had asthma, in, infection-induced asthma, um, but very, very lucky to get away with what I did because it, it could have been a lot worse. And so I was like, right, I want to get really healthy. It was just a switch. How am I going to get back on track? And ultimately, I had this vision of can I come off all this medication? And by this point, I was on antipsychotics, not just antidepressants. So I was on some really strong drug therapy for bipolar. And the psychiatrist at the time was like, I just, I think you're, I think you need to accept you're going to be on medication for life. I just think it's too risky for you to come off. Um, but I just decided I'm going to get really healthy. So I, I kind of put those building blocks in in place first. So I started retraining in nutrition and health coaching and then nutritional therapy and then looking at genetics and then taking courses on spirituality and just reading tons of books and research papers and just integrating different practices. And I think the, the key thing is you can kind of burn your body out and you might suffer with chronic fatigue. All right. And there's a breakdown in your energy systems and your mitochondria. But then you can also suffer with depression. And that is almost like a breakdown of the brain. And I think the distinguishing factor with burnout, and if you look at the research on it, is this is a breakdown of both. This is mental and physical complete burnout. And that's really what happened to me. And so coming back from that, that was a journey. And I think this is where the Joe Dispenza, I can tell you're uh, a fan of his work. Totally. (laughs) Um, Where this comes in. Yeah, it's amazing, isn't it? And I think this is where it comes in for me because having been told that they hadn't diagnosed me with bipolar, they said that I had chronic, was it major depressive disorder with possible bipolar and the medication was bipolar. And the worry was... I would be uncontrolled coming off those meds. So swinging between the two. And certainly I would swing. So I think the hardest thing for me as I was making this recovery, putting in place the right nutrition, I'd gone to see a functional medicine doctor, you know, working my way back up, building back my adrenal function, my mitochondrial health. 
I would get these swings. So it would be that I would wake up and I would feel on top of the world. I can handle anything. I'm like super mum. Do you know what I mean? And I, that's it. I can do anything. And then <laughs> yeah. that, <laughs> and that's always risky, isn't it? And my husband would just think I was crazy. He was like, here we go again. Um, <laughs> and then that was always the the rise before the fall. That was like the right. cruelest part. That was always that would always precede a horrible period of depression. And over time, I realized these patterns. I was like, I need to moderate this because when I feel like on top of the world and I can do anything, mm -hmm. it usually lasts very short term. And then the crash is so much harder. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and really spirituality is the way to regulate that, I think. Going inwards, it's so hard, isn't it? And people who feel, maybe there's some listeners here who feel that they're struggling with depression. The last thing you feel you can do is go inwards because there was so much self-loathing and hatred. Why would I go inwards? And I had to kind of really re-engage and learn to love myself again. But it was going inwards and finding that spirituality and that sense of purpose that really balanced that polarity and mood that I would experience. So picture this, right? Unlocking your potential, conquering emotional eating and gaining insights directly from a health and nutrition expert such as myself. That's what we do inside the Healthy Mums Collective Facebook group, which is currently free to join. If you've ever felt trapped by food challenges, struggled with maintaining a healthy lifestyle or yearned for a community that understands the reasons why you've yo-yo dieted for years, then there's a new chapter waiting to be written. And this is your chance to start writing it by joining us all on Facebook Lives, on engaging posts that push you out of your comfort zone and into growth, and Q&A sessions with me. All of this works as a platform to begin changing your emotional eating problems for good. Oh, and also, as a special gift, you receive my transformative How to Turn Food into Self-Confidence ebook. And that's also for free. I get it. Skepticism might linger. You might think, Maddie, I've heard these ads and I'm not sure. Well, at least a quarter of the members inside the Healthy Mums Collective Facebook group have been paying clients of my emotional eating program at some point over the last three or four years. So if you're not sure, you can post in the group and ask to find out if I'm the real deal or not. It's totally up to you. To join us in the free Healthy Mums Collective and to end your emotional eating and feel good in your own skin and begin that journey, pop down to the show notes below, click the link and breeze through three simple entry questions. Join today and let's embark on a journey of growth and empowerment. The link is in the show notes below. Thank you so much for sharing that journey. And I just want to acknowledge your courage and willingness to be vulnerable about some of those really challenging, dark emotional experiences that you went through. And I can imagine there are a lot of mothers that are here listening in now that have been through significant mental health struggles in ways that are so incredibly confusing. I simply can't imagine the challenge or the confusion of giving birth to these beautiful children and then having these confusing, conflicting emotions that are kind of like not happy that they're here or not happy with what you've just created or gone through. And so I can, I can just imagine there are a lot of people nodding their heads right now as they listen. So I want to recognize and acknowledge that you were willing and courageous to share that with us. So thank you. Thank you, Matty. I appreciate that. Do you know, I share it now because I feel that it may help others. Really, that's where it comes from that sort of place of love. Because for a long time, it was just this very, very secret battle and I couldn't talk about it. And honestly, I couldn't talk about it actually until 
I have finally got myself off all medication so that I felt I had healed myself because I feel like it's hard to try and help other people heal from a place of wounds. I think when you can turn those wounds into scars and you can show people that you've come through, that may, you know, help them understand that, well, if she can do it, I can do it, right? It's possible. It's possible for me too. And that's really where I'm coming from because for a long time it is, and I think depression is a very secret battle you know you you break a leg and everyone's really really sympathetic you know they'll sign the cast and they really want to help you out as much as they can and it's obvious that it's broken and it needs repairing but when you've got a broken brain you feel so embarrassed you can feel ashamed you feel vulnerable you just feel so many emotions and you feel like this sense of not coping and you don't want anyone to know and so it was like I remember one of my friends saying to me you know oh there were a few mums that felt that you were ignoring them and I've said you know no no she's not she's really lovely she's just busy with three kids and it wasn't that I was ignoring them I didn't even I didn't see them I was so caught up in my own inner world it was a struggle to get out of bed you know it it used to take my son kind of up to an hour and a half to pull mummy out of bed like for me running corporate deals as a, a multinational lawyer I'd gone from that to finding that just the school run was an achievement in a day it was it was hard and I think you know I felt that if anyone spoke to me sometimes I would just burst into tears if that was a bad dark day I just didn't want to engage with anyone because I just thought I can't hold this together and it was really hard but having come through that and it was a long journey you know my youngest is now nine and it's been 18 months since I stopped those medications and obviously it becomes really apparent that isn't postnatal depression is it it doesn't last seven years um it was it had gone much deeper than that um but I think now that I've come through that anything and I'm not a psychotherapist but if if anything of that I share is helpful to people then I feel like it would have been worth it And so thinking of those mums that are listening, that are doing the busy life, taking the kids to school, doing work, maybe at school themselves, keeping the family together, doing all of the things, what are some signs that they should be aware of that will give them some indication that they're running on empty or maybe even the burnout is currently unfolding in their body or or their life right now? Do you know, initially, I think before you get to the point where you are kind of, you know, is is adrenal fatigue a real thing? Um, You know, we don't know truly do the adrenals become exhausted, but actually we know that the HPA access can have complete dysfunction, as you know. And so when you're heading to that, I think you first go through a stage of compensation. And I did. And I think if we can recognize that the point at which we feel tired, but we are constantly looking for stimulants to um, provide that extra energy, you are now sort of heading down that road. And we have more sophisticated trackers that we can use now at home um, to help us with this that I can go into in a moment. But initially then, obviously, those tools weren't available nine, 10 years years ago so it's kind of looking at it and going if you can't perform and function in the morning without doing something that really really ramps up your cortisol you probably have a degree of dysfunction so I mean things like really strong coffee to get going going out for a run doing a HIIT workout all these things that actually exacerbate that quarter early morning cortisol response that's a sign um, to me that you're overreaching a bit at the moment and maybe too far 
And then also lack of sleep. That's a huge one. When you've got insomnia, again, that is indicative of HPA axis dysfunction because you're not, your circadian alignment is not. And and I know with young children, it's really difficult for mums because it's like, well, I want to sleep, but I can't sleep. I'm being perpetually woken. And some of that can't be avoided. Maybe you can share that with a partner. Maybe you can occasionally get help in. But what about when you should be asleep and you're not able to? So if you can use like breathwork techniques for, seven eight breathing that increases GABA get yourself into that relaxed state that you're resting even if you feel take the pressure off yourself maybe you're not able to sleep but you're still resting your body probably you'll fall asleep quite quickly when you no longer pressurize yourself but that's sort of an aside those things that we were talking about there are signs of HPA axis dysfunction and you will push harder initially before you go to burnout um And I think that people need to recognize that as a first step. The other thing you can do now is you can use, you know, I wear an aura ring. I've been comparing that to the whoop strap. You can look at a metric known as heart rate variability, which is the variation between our heartbeats. So the heart isn't designed to be, as you know, like a metronome. And so for people listening, if you think of an average person's heart beating at 60 beats per minute, we wouldn't expect it to be one beat per second. We expect there to be some quite high intervariability. If their vagus nerve and their parasympathetic and sympathetic nervous systems are communicating effectively. Now, if you start to see your heart rate variability and you can establish it on a baseline over about two weeks, if it starts to drop by about 20%, you're no longer recovering as well as you should. And that's the sign that you need to downgrade what you're doing a bit. Maybe you are taking on too much. But if it starts to go down by 40%, we know that this really is just walks and rest and yoga. And I think that Athletes really have a good way of like assessing this. There's functional overreaching and functional overreaching is a bit like breaking down muscle tissue. We break down those fibers to make them stronger and that's why we lift weights. And that is functional because it's making us stronger. But non-functional overreaching is actually where we're starting to do damage that we're not, the recovery cycles that have been built in are not enough. And that can quickly lead to overtraining syndrome in an athlete. And it's the same for us in life, whether you've got pressure with work, in business relationships with um, children with just having had you started a family all these things add into that melting pot of stress we just need to understand the signs to look out for but certainly for me it would manifest by insomnia I was never a difficult sleeper but I felt like my brain was kind of scrambling I'd almost see things when I closed my eyes it was and there was just this really like over alertness before the depression would kick in um other things are like you don't notice with depression they're very individual but you you start that drop in serotonin means that you no longer notice a sunny day things that would normally make you happy the simple things in life you're no longer really getting a response from them um and you start to have more and more negative thoughts that come in and you there's more rumination and depression and anxiety are kind of the flip side of the same coin so one will often trigger the other and so it's about putting in place those practices that can really support that recovery um, and enhancing your diet you know supporting things like we talked about like b vitamin intake magnesium things that affect your neurotransmitters and not keep taking things that actually deplete and for years i'd survived on you know coffee and energy bars as a corporate lawyer um, probably not the healthiest <laughs> (laughs) (laughs) 
that had me thinking as you were talking there that, um, and you kind of touched on where I was going to go just then, is that so many busy people are just looking for the next diet or the next supplement or, you know, the next essentially distraction from healing to fit into their already extremely busy lifestyle. And as a high performer yourself or a high achiever, and a lot of the mums out there are because they're doing all of the things and they're fitting it all in, I would potentially argue from a psychological standpoint that those types of people are and potentially have been their whole lives uh, engaging in active avoidance of recovery and of me time and of alone time. And so I guess my question is how as you know, as a group of high performers that are so afraid of being with themselves for even five minutes. And actually, this is an exercise I get to do with the mums I work with is to literally, when you're in the car by yourself, five minutes, no phone, no radio, everything out of reach. And it's a huge challenge because I work with similar type of women, right? That they're high achievers. They've got the family business. They've got the kids. And even this five minute session of prioritizing just myself in silence is a, is a massive challenge. And so from your experience, how do you nurture that space where these super high achieving women and busy women can actually find the psychological support within themselves to create a space where they feel okay to calm down, to slow down, to stop, to create space for themselves? It's very, very hard, isn't it? And I think you've you've touched on a really major point there. I find that when people understand that it makes their performance better, that's when the magic starts to happen because that's when they will trigger it. Because these are, as you say, high-performing women in particular take on so much more often than men. You know, we have things running around in our head. You know, I have it in my head at the moment, you know, oh, I need to get back to this person about my son's trip and I need to, you know, things that maybe men are not carrying around, this constant list of to-dos on top and I think it's very difficult to prioritize yourself ahead but as you say it can only take five minutes so I think once they understand that when you start to go inwards and you have that deep sense of connection whether it's through your breath or meditation or being in the present moment practicing things like gratitude there's so much power in it because now you have greater emotional regulation and control and you actually show up way better in everything else that you do but there are times of day that I think really lend themselves to this without you having to do too much more so for example for me the morning is one of the best times I'm an early riser anyway and so getting out of bed five or ten minutes earlier to do a short meditation it doesn't have to be the full kind of transcendental 20 minute style even just as you were saying right there five minutes of breathing where your distractions are completely off and you don't look at your phone until you've done your morning routine doing you know a five minute yoga session um, in the morning stretching just actually taking care like the self-care is so important I think the thing I would say is not only will you see greater performance if you don't slow down there's going to come a point like it did for me where your body will create an event that forces you to it's going to keep talking to you you know the body always keeps the score I love that book and it's so true and you me too. it's so amazing and it's so true and it will keep talking to you and all these little aches and pains and niggles that you're getting and symptoms of depression and anxiety and exhaustion they are all your body talking to you maybe you're getting other things you know skin issues eczema anything 
but this is your body talking and you must listen the other thing is through so morning is great and in the morning you know when we wake up we are much more suggestible so it's actually the time you can use it even for things like affirmations and really transforming your day and setting you up for a good day just like last thing at night because we're highly suggestible at this time so and we're more relaxed we're in an alpha brainwave state it's a great time to access the subconscious world um the other thing is through transitions during the day like you were describing there in the car you know let's make it an active transition don't just kind of rush from work to the kids and then you know get triggered by your teenager because you didn't create the right transition just taking a few minutes to do some breathing calming that glutamate increasing GABA you're going to basically go in calmer and with a different attitude and you're sort of saying right I'm now out of work mode I'm coming in as mum and I always think that creating identities can be really helpful in this regard so Todd um, Herman I think wrote the book The Ego Effect and I love the way that he has um specific identities for work life and for home life so he has a pair of glasses that he only ever puts on for work and when he walks through the door and he takes the glasses off and he puts them on the on the table as he walks into the hall and he connects with his young son that's the moment at which he moves away from him being kind of world's greatest coach in his day job to world's greatest father and I think we can do that we can make that transition and think how would the best version of me show up what would the best mum do in this situation she definitely wouldn't walk through the door all stressed out trying to be on her phone and finish up emails at the same time as cooking tea because let's face it we're not successful in any one of those enterprises when we do that so another way is just taking those minutes and you get them back don't you you must see this with your clients every minute invested in self-care to a degree i'm not asking you to sit under a tree like buddha all day long but (laughs) a few minutes more than come back in time saved Oh, totally. And this conversation actually for me is so validating because obviously no babies have passed through my body, but y- you as a mum and my clients as mothers, this is the exact kind of process I take them through as well. And so it's really it's really great to hear it from you, someone that is a mum and is a professional in this area, talk about all of those little things, which are things that I do with my the mums that I work with too. So uh, yeah, this is awesome. <laughs> <laughs> cool. I'm glad that we're on the same page. It's nice. It's nice to have somebody who also agrees with this and I think the more that we can get this message out to people the better their lives get right and you and I are both in the business of improving people's lives and improving their health and the benefits are so great and if you look at high performers they do this they they prioritize recovery because it enhances performance it's so important and I think if people can see it that way it's so much easier to commit to a practice Um, And you don't have to do all of them, right? There's a whole menu of choices. You can choose whichever one suits you on that day. It might be a bit of breathing. It might be a bit of gratitude. It might be a short meditation. Choose, you know, it might be five minutes of stretching or foam rolling. Choose, Choose which one works for you. The other thing I like to do is stack the hacks. So if you can kind of like take some of the biohacking style technologies and just stack them together you know so like I might take my laptop into the sauna do or a book and read in there and then you've kind of double doubled up on things or listen to a podcast while going for a run uh you know doing a meditation in front of my red light you're getting all the kind of mitochondrial benefits collagen boosting benefits while doing a meditation so I think that's the thing as well I find with high performers is once they understand you can stack these things and get you know more bang for your buck that also really helps. I love that James Clear reference. I'm a big fan of stacking that, that those hacks, <laughs> those habits. Yeah, so important. 
I guess before we sort of finish up, what would we say would be the two or three most important things for mums listening or parents listening, but mums listening um, to get started? Like they're starting to realize, oh, this feedback from my body, I am getting more aches and ails and tired, more tired and pushing myself is becoming a really conscious and active process because it's I'm dragging myself through the day. So where should people start? So the first place I would say to start is to get your circadian alignment in check. So by that, I mean, not just your sleep, but really aligning your day with our circadian clock. So it's kind of like making sure that you're getting access to light early in the morning. Um, You know, then you're triggering the clock genes. You want to basically be having some protein, even if you're doing intermittent fasting, having a healthy dose of protein by 10 a.m. is going to trigger those further, help you maintain muscle mass and stay strong and also not overstress your body because a lot of people when they're doing this they think right I'm not going to fast for 12 or 14 hours overnight now I'm basically going to fast for 16 or 18 hours a day I'm going to compress to a really short into eating window in two days I'm not going to eat at all and you know that's actually for the female body it doesn't really align with our physiology we're very you know we're not small men as Stacey Dr. Stacey Sims says so let's let's appreciate that and appreciate that we have this unique female physiology and start to align with our circadian rhythm, increasing our sleep, but also aligning with our infradian rhythm, which we've been given, which is a gift. Um, we are creative at certain, more creative at certain times of the month. We are more energized at certain times. We're more communicative. Let's start aligning with that menstrual cycle yeah. and understanding that there's certain periods during the month that you're just not going to be able to push as hard. And, you know, when you need to be focusing or your body needs to focus on progesterone production, for example, between days 21 and 28, which is anti-anxiety and is helpful to you and reduces symptoms of bloating and things like that let's not be gunning those hit workouts when your body's saying no i just don't feel like it but you're still dragging yourself to the gym at 5 a.m so i would say the first thing is let's start aligning with our circadian and infradian rhythms um, and focusing on that and then just cutting yourself some slack like don't be so hard on yourself i was so hard on myself and that negative thinking doesn't help in any way you know you're doing an amazing amazing job just as you are focus on being present because the more present you are the more impact you can make whether that's in business or with your kids if you give every interaction you have that 100% presence you will exceed well beyond your expectations and what you could ever have imagined was possible and that includes recovery so when you're doing that breathing or meditation you're now 100% in that moment um, so I would say those would be the top two things that I would say and and fueling your body right with the right food and light and, and focusing on whole foods but people know that bit but they might just not be doing it um, I actually have a health check if they want to kind of do a fun interactive quiz to I have a protocol called shift which is sleep hormones insights fuel and training your body and mind and they can go and get their personal health scores um, in each area so they'll get an overall score and then a score on each of those five areas just to see how they're doing with a personalized report and recommendations so i can give you the link if people want to check that out it's just about to shift into where can everybody find you online. So that link, I will 100% put that link down in the show notes below. So for everyone listening, scroll down and uh, click that link. So further to that, where can everybody find you online? 
Yeah, so the link if people want to go is if they go to www.yourtotalhealthcheck.com, that's where they can do that quiz and get their personalized health check and score. And then um, I'm always active on Instagram. I'm always in my DMs chatting to people over there. That's at Angela S. Foster. And then my website is AngelaFosterPerformance.com. Amazing. Amazing. All right. So all those links for everybody listening will be down in the show notes below. Um, And so if you love this episode, take a screenshot, share it into your social media stories, tag both myself and Angela. Our social media handles will be down in the show notes as well. We'd love to hear who's listening. And if you think anyone you know can benefit, a mum, a friend that's a mum, or maybe somebody, maybe your partner, give this episode a share with them too. And so before we go, Angela, I'd love to ask you one final question, which is what do you think or what do you wish more people knew about? If there was one piece of health information that more people knew about, which one would it be? It would be that the best things that you can do for your health are free. So all the kind of sexy biohacks and everything you can do is really nice to layer on top. But if you can, you know, get as naturally as close to ancestral living as you can by eating natural whole foods go outside walk barefoot go and jump in a cold river or lake get in turn the shower to cold in the morning really focus on your sleep you're going to burn more fat than ever before if you do that all the free stuff meditating breath work like the power is in with you and the earth that we have around us to give us everything we need get that access to sunshine do all of those things and then you can just layer as many other kind of things you want on top but your health will just be amazing thank you so much that was beautiful and i'm really grateful for you spending time with me here on the show so thank you so much for being here my absolute pleasure thank you so much and i look forward to having you on my show as well that sounds amazing all right we'll catch you soon angela see ya see ya Thanks for listening to the How to Not Get Sick and Die podcast. If you love this episode and health information is your thing, then please consider subscribing to the show. And when you're done, head over to iTunes, Google Podcast, or whichever app you use. And we'd be grateful if you could leave us a five-star rating and write a review sharing your opinion on the show as it really helps the podcast grow. Thanks so much and I'll see you on the next episode. Whilst the presenter that feature on this podcast endeavour to provide accurate information, it cannot possibly take into account your individual circumstances, and therefore the content on this podcast provided by any of the speakers is not intended as advice in any way for any individual, and should not be a replacement for professional medical or health advice of any nature. Always seek advice regarding your personal situation from a qualified medical professional.